0: Thank you, Katie. God bless you. You continue to grow in Him who helps us grow. All right. Did you catch the words of the song, What If Your Greatest Victory, as she said, came to the darkest time of your life? Judy and I discovered a book that, you know, I think they've got me boxed in. Um, We discovered it through the... It's one of the WMU recommended books, you know. And it's a really radical book about a lady who's a missionary in Africa. And um, she has this incredible relationship with Jesus Christ. I mean, an incredible relationship with Jesus Christ. And, you know, you sit there going, wow, you know, I would love to have that kind of relationship um, with Jesus. But then you've got another story because she was born with one leg and without a hip. And she's had multiple, multiple surgeries. And um, her life has been very difficult and um, on an incredible journey. God took her and placed her in the middle of the bush in Sudan and ministering and starting an orphanage for children. And and it's not like she's had this incredible life where there's never sickness, pain, or sorrow because she has all that. But she's seen the most incredible miracles. Miracles that we would go, hmm. Things like having 80 suckers and 200 kids show up. And so she does the thing. Says, okay. you know, she calls the father Papa, which is Abba. Papa... You know, and and so she gives the kids suckers and somehow 200 suckers come out of the bucket instead of 90. Those kind of miracles. Those kind of miracles. Remember the book's recommended by the WNU, by the way. <laughs> you know, it's just incredible. And so you say, I would like to have that relationship. But understand that kind of relationship comes with a price. And as we think about it, go ahead and go open your Bibles, please, to Matthew in chapter 5. And we're going to be reading in verse number 38 tonight. And I'm not sure. We may, Wednesday night, skip back and go some of these other Scriptures. Um, I'm just not sure. Uh, we began Psalm, and we're going to hang in there with Psalms. But I just want to make sure we get all we can out of the Beatitudes. And it's really important you go back with me now, okay? Go back that 2,100 years on that afternoon, that morning. It was a really long sermon. And there's the rabbi teacher, Jesus and he's kind of new on the scene, and he's sitting on a hillside, and yes, probably around him are the twelve, okay? But please understand, because if you just stay with the twelve, you're going to miss it. You're going to say, well, I'm not one of the twelve, and so this doesn't pertain to me. you really got to understand that there are multitudes of people. And as he speaks and says, you are the salt of the earth. He was talking to these folks here that have expressed an interest and saying, you know, if you follow me, that there's a relationship involved. If you follow me, I'm going to give you a purpose in life. If you follow me, I'm going to call you to a higher level of living if you follow me. And these were just ordinary people. Uh, You know, of course, the apostles were. They were fishermen and those kind of guys, you know. One was a tax collector. But they're just everyday people like us. And Jesus calls us this incredible higher level of living. It's just incredible. Now, here's the deal. We have a tendency in Scripture to say, yeah, but they walked with Jesus, and you know, and Jesus really, Jesus really didn't mean what he was saying. You know, like it was like a hyperbole maybe, or or maybe it was a metaphor. You know, for instance, a lot of people say that when Jesus said, remember these words, you know, if your right hand offend thee, cut it off. Because it's better to enter into eternal life maimed than to go into eternal punishment whole. And they said something like, you know, if if your right eye offend me, pluck it out, dig it out, gouge it out. Because it's better to to go into eternal life with one eye than it is to enter eternal punishment with two eyes. And we want to soften that, and probably we can, frankly. Uh, Probably Jesus was using some uh, literature tools there. But the point is that whatever it takes to be holy, do it. You can't soften it any further than that. Okay? And, and then, you know, there's times when Jesus said, you know, if you don't hate your mom and your dad and your brother and sister, then you cannot be my disciple. And, and again, He's saying in essence that, that my, your love for me has to be so great that any other love pales. But there's a reality to that. What do you do if your wife says, I'm done with this Jesus thing, and you got to choose? What if your husband says, I'm walking unless you abandon Jesus Christ? What do you do? It's a great story. A guy named Charles Weichel was a teaching professor, music professor at Tennessee Temple University. And that happened to him. One day his wife walked in and said, I'm done with the Jesus thing. You are going to have to choose me or Jesus. And he said, Honey, I love you with all my heart. But I cannot forsake Jesus Christ for you. And she left. Mary, she left. And Charles Weichel spent the rest of his years single and on the campus of Tennessee Temple University, devoting his life to God. And he wrote this incredible song entitled, No One Ever Cared For Me Like Jesus. So there are, there are times when Jesus uses literature instruments to make a point. And there's times when He uses that instrument, but there's truth literally involved in that. And there's, there's times like this sermon. I can't look you in the eye tonight, and there's a point to this story, I can't look you in the eye tonight and say, well guys, really Jesus was using some metaphors here. Jesus was using some hyperboles today, tonight, to teach these. What Jesus said on the Sermon on the Mount is exactly what He meant. And teaching to these multitudes of people, and said, hey, if you want to follow Me, this is the standard of living. This, This is the bar. And it goes beyond... The letter of the law. And it goes to the intent. It goes beyond the letter of the law, Blake. And it goes to a higher purpose. In Matthew chapter 5, in verse number 38, Jesus says those now familiar words. You have heard. You have been taught. As 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 you went to Jewish Sunday school, this is what the scribes and Pharisees and the rabbis would have taught you. You have heard that it was said in this number 38, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. This is mentioned several times in Old Testament law. It's the law of retaliation. It was designed to protect the innocent. Let's make it simple. You need to understand that, that if, you, if you harm a poor person, then the harm that you do to the poor person is going to be done to you. And then Jesus comes along with what I think is a higher purpose in mind. Because here's what he says. But I tell you, um, truly, truly, I say to you, verily, verily, I say to you, don't resist an evildoer. Matter of fact, on the contrary, if anyone slaps you on your right cheek, turn to him the other cheek also. Now, we want to soften that instantly, and we want to say, now, really, Jesus didn't mean that. Or perhaps he's saying, well, Jesus, that was okay with that culture. And, and really understand, their culture was worse. Because they were under Roman opposition and occupation. And it would have been very common for a Roman soldier or Roman official to hit you. Probably not too much in the Jewish culture, as much as the Roman culture and under that opposition. And Jesus says, if somebody slaps you, you're going to turn the other cheek. Now, now, we won't get slapped too much in church, physically. But we slap pretty regularly. There are two things that the church is really good at. Chucking rocks and slapping people. Chucking rocks and slapping people. And it's so, sometimes it's, I won't, I won't use the word innocent, but sometimes it's just so, almost accidental, it just comes out of our mouth and we slap someone across the face. And we are called... What is our response to that when someone emotionally slaps you? When someone slaps you with a word? What is to be your response? The world would say, if you slap me, then I slap you back. Even in this, in this sense of the Old Testament law, it would have been retaliation. But Jesus says, I've come to a higher fulfillment. And, and if somebody slaps you, whether it be physically or emotionally or verbally... You are to turn the other to him also. And and Todd, that's not a hyperbole. It's not an analogy. It's not an illustration. Exactly what he means. And then verse 40 says this as for the one who wants to sue you, take away and take away your shirt. Give him your coat as well. If somebody comes and wants to sue you and take away the very shirt off your back, you're going to offer him the coat that you're wearing also. And and this may may well have pointed to the tax collectors, those Jewish people who worked for the Roman government, who made their living by stealing and taking away. If you owed $50 in taxes, then they would say you owe $100 and they kept the other $50. And they were despised. Rich, they were despised. And the world would say kill them, hurt them. But Jesus says, no, no. if if they come after your shirt, give them your coat also. And and then he says in verse 41, well, if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him too. We know what that's about. Uh, We don't have it in biblical, but we have it in historical documents that the Roman government enabled their soldiers, gave them the right to pull aside a Jewish person and that Jewish person or an occupied person could be made to carry the Roman soldier's equipment for one mile. And the logic is, that's about how far a normal person could carry. That's all he had in them. A normal health person could carry this weight. So, so the Roman soldier would grab a person off the street, force him and script him to carry his equipment for one mile. And then at the end of that mile, the Roman soldiers they would throw it down, the Roman soldiers get another one and carry it another mile. And then Jesus says, these people that are occupying your country, the people who have the right and the power to conscript, then, then you, you, you have the ability to not carry one mile, but two. Hence, remember the slaying? Go the extra mile. Go the extra mile. Give to the one who asks. And don't turn away from the one Who wants to borrow from you? Again, all these things are things that he literally meant. Now here's the question you've got to ask tonight. Why? Why? Why why would I, why would I, you know, why wouldn't I do an eye for an eye and a two for two? Uh, why would if somebody slap me when I turned the other cheek? Uh, why would somebody want to sue me and they took my shirt? Why would I say, Why don't you take my coat also? Uh, why would somebody force me, conscripted me to carry their equipment a mile? Why would I carry it too? You know, if somebody's being a, a jerk on the job, then why would I try to be kind to them? If someone hurts me even at church, then why would I extend a hand anyway to them? And here's the answer the gospel. The Gospel. Jesus realized that if this world is going to be reached, it has got to see something that is otherworldly. It's got to see something that is beyond the realm of normal. And everything He lists in verse number 38, 39, 40, 41, and 42 is extraworldly. This is not how the world acts. And Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. And like it or not, we are His plan A. We are it. And Jesus knew in 2011, in America, today, that the, the nation around us, the culture around us, is going to have to see something that's extraordinary to get their attention. You know, If Brent was here, he would tell you, go back 20 years ago. Two words drew a youth crowd. Pizza party. You say pizza party, now they go, big deal. I go to Pizza anytime I want to. We live in a culture that's oversaturated with stuff. And what used to excite and draw people just doesn't do it anymore. Maybe we should go back to what we used to do. On a hillside, a Judean hillside, with a new rabbi teaching something extra-worldly. And I've got to believe this. That as we live out 38, 39, 40, 41, and 42, as we live it out, it's going to get somebody's attention. Is it risky? Mm, yeah. You can end up with some sore cheeks. Amen? You can end up with a sore back from carrying somebody's equipment. You could lose your shirt and your coat. But you've got to ask yourself questions. Is it worth it? If we could get a glimpse of hell, we'd understand better. But we don't. Most of us, come on, come on, come on. Most of us at this level believe there's a hell. At this level, we really don't. You know why? We ain't winning nobody's Jesus. When's the last time you shared Jesus with someone? Someone who is doomed and on their way to hell, Blake. The hell that we believe in. A lake of fire which burns forever and ever where the worm dieth not. If we were so convinced that there was a horrible place called hell, wouldn't we be trying to take everybody we could with us to heaven? But we're worried about rock chucking and cheeks clapping. We're worried about getting our way in the church. We're worried about our agenda. You've been very kind about the parking lot. Not one person came up to me to say... Why is our parking lot still not done? Thank you. Because I feel expected to be day with questions. And, you know, life-changing questions like, when's the parking lot going to be done? Why am I having to walk an extra 40 feet to church? Thank you. It was nice to come off vacation and not face that. It really was. In fact, I asked Nancy Oshel this morning, I said, are the natives restless? <laughs> she goes, huh? I said, are people upset about the parking lot? No, Brother Dwayne, they, they really haven't said a whole lot about it. Thank you. Thank you. If we understood hell, it would change us. Listen to these words. i got my little scripture cheat sheet here. It feeds up things a little bit. Romans chapter 9, verses 1 through 5. I tell you the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my countrymen according to the flesh, who are Israelites, to whom pertain the adoption, the glory, and the covenants, and the giving of the law, and the service of God, and the promises, of whom are the fathers, and from whom, according to the flesh, Christ came, who is over all, the eternally blessed God. Amen. Now, you understand what that is? That is the Apostle Paul saying, because I know the horror of hell and I know the wonder of grace, I would be willing for myself to be apart from Christ and say, turn hell if it went my brethren, at the nation of Israel, to be saved. Paul got it. I, by the way, I don't get it that far. I love you, just not that much. Accursed from Christ. But he understood. How many times was Paul beaten? How many times was he? they tried to kill him? And yet for the ones that were trying to kill him, his countrymen, he said, I would be willing to be accursed from Christ. Paul got it. He probably wasn't on the hillside. I don't know. But he got it. I know he later grew to hate Christ and Christians. But he finally got it. 1 Peter 2.21-25 For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us. Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow in His steps. Who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in His mouth, who when He was reviled did not revile in return. When He suffered, He did not threaten, but committed Himself to the One who judges righteously. It was Christ. Jesus got it. He understood what He was teaching. That was He was on the cross. He was saying, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And one who had been reviling Him, when He turned and said, remember me when you come to your kingdom, He did. The purpose is the Gospel, guys. Your neighbor without Jesus is going to hell. There is not going to be a, there's not going to be an escape clause We live in a country today where there's always loopholes. All we hear about is taxes of those who take advantage of the loopholes. Close the loopholes. Well, guess what? God closed loopholes and there is none. And without Jesus, you won't make heaven. And without Jesus, your children won't make heaven. And without Jesus, your husband or wife won't make heaven. It's just the purpose. The reason we get slapped. The reason we should be willing to give up our shirt and our coat. The reason we should go the extra mile was hoping that Roman soldier would go, dude, why are you carrying it two miles? He said, because I met this incredible man named Jesus. And he changed me and he wants to change you also. How do you do that, Dwayne? How does that happen? I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. The Sermon on the Mount happens when we can turn the other cheek, when we can lose our shirt and our coat, when we can carry the extra mile. It happens when we finally get dead. Because dead men hold their, loose, their rights real loosely. As we understand that we're dead in Christ, we hold our rights real loosely. People who are dead never say, excuse me, you're sitting in my seat. People who are dead never say, You can't say that to me. People who are dead never raise the hand to slap back. We just need to get dead. That's a good place for an amen. We need, and by the way, this is so cool because it's not doorstilled at this church, it's the church. We've got to learn to die. All over again. You know, it's hard to die. It's hard to die. And we just got to get dead. The purpose, the reason, the why, is the Gospel. And then Jesus continues just a little bit more. You have heard, sound familiar? You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Again, no hyperbole, no metaphor, no figure of speech. You've heard it said before, and it's kind of the unwritten law in the Old Testament. It's kind of, again, what what God said in a roundabout way, is you're supposed to to love those who love you and hate those who, who hate you. But Jesus says, I'm going beyond the letter of the law. I'm going to fulfillment. I'm going to purpose. And I'm calling you to love your enemies. Paul says this way. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love. and honor giving preference to one another. Not lagging in diligence. Fervent in spirit. Serving the Lord. Rejoicing in hope and patience and in tribulation. Continually steadfastly in prayer. Distributing the needs of the saints. Giving to hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless those who And do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. And be of the same mind one to another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Don't be wise in your own opinion. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in sight of all men. And if it's possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. It's written, Vengeance is mine, I will pay, says the Lord. So if your enemy is hungry, you feed him. If he's thirsty, you give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heat coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Why? Because hell is eternally hot, and separation from God is so incredibly horrible, you can't even begin to imagine it. And 1.68 billion people in the world have never heard the name of Jesus Christ. And people right here in Harrisburg have said no to Jesus, or no one's even asked and said, Do you know Jesus? That's why. And when you do this, Jesus says in verse 45, so that you may be sons of your Father in heaven, we're never more like God than when we love our enemies. That's a good place for an amen, too. Come on. But Dwayne, I thought I was like God when I was religious. That's just not what Jesus said. He said, you are like the sons of God that you claim to be when you love your enemies and and love those who persecute you. That's when you look the most like God. Because the Bible says, He causes His Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous. And And by the way, if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Don't even the tax collectors do the same? If you treat me good and I treat you good, isn't that what the world does? If you treat me bad and I treat you bad, isn't that what the world does? Aren't we just acting like a lost person? And Jesus says, you'll be like my Father. Then you do the opposite. You you, you love your enemies. And those that would persecute you, you bless. And then He said this, you only greet your brothers? What are you doing? Out of the ordinary. And by the way, have you figured it out? God's never called us to be ordinary. God's never called us to be ordinary. He's called us to be extraordinary. Serving an extraordinary God. Don't even the Gentiles do the same. So be mature, be perfect, be holy. Therefore, as your Heavenly Father he is mature and perfect and holy. No hyperbole, Donna. No, this is what he really meant to say. No softening saying, well, he really didn't mean that. He meant what he said. And he said it to a bunch of people that are considering following him. And he said it and said, you know what? If you want to come into a relationship with me, you've got to to understand you're spiritually bankrupt. You've got to realize you're poor in spirit. You've got to understand, I'm calling you to a new purpose. You are to be influencers of the world. You'll be salt and light. And that looks like this. It looks like getting slapped and not slapping back. It looks like giving your shirt when they want your coat. It means when somebody wants to use you and go one mile, you go two. Risky? Like I said, yep. Costly? Uh Uh-huh. But just remember this. Jesus did it for you. And secondly, if we ever got a glimpse of hell, you wouldn't want your worst enemy to go there. If we understood what hell is all about, we'd do everything we could to get everybody we could going to heaven. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Well, Father, we sure thank You for Your Word tonight. We really do. And God, we need to get dead. Father, people resist dying. We... We resist dying physically. We try to do everything to keep our bodies alive. And that is normal and that is right. Physically. But God, we are resisting You. We are just not willing to die to self. Father, may we claim the promise tonight, the truth of Galatians 2.20. I am crucified with Christ. Yet I live. But it's really not me. Is you, Jesus, living in me? May we live like dead men. May we hold loosely our rights. And may that alone cause people to go, What has happened to you? And may we have the boldness and the courage to say, It's Jesus. It's Jesus. And it's in that precious name we pray tonight.